0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like Just Not Sports. On today's show, we'll go deep on Spartan racing with former MLS star and NBC soccer analyst Kyle Martino, who is hosting a new show about the beloved race series. And following the tragic loss of Muhammad Ali, we will talk about the champ's significant cultural impact on American life. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me in the studio this week, first time in a few weeks, the fresh-faced, award winning media strategist who has worked for the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you, buddy?
1: Uh, it was a long week, I think, for all of us, but here we are enjoying what we do semi semi good. Semi good? Semi well. I wouldn't kind call of us good. semi good. I'd call us more like
0: semi there.
1: Well we're recording and it's going out to somebody
0: we have recorded 30 plus shows uh every week since we started uh for all the people who said we'd quit we're really trying we are going into the broadcasting <laughs> hall of fame clearly <laughs> also laughing through a phone line in new york B- brooklyn new york the capital of new york it's our any winning sports producer gareth hughes gareth how are you buddy
2: Good. I liked that I liked that drop of the capital of New York there. It's uh you know, spring and early summer in New York. It's gorgeous here and everybody's hanging out on the stoop, their kids run around all over. You would say stoop and oh, and you know what, as we as my daughter was playing tag in front of Stoop the other night, I thought to myself, I think she thinks this is the capital of the world. <laughs> and so, yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, I love it. you're like as my daughter was on the stoop playing stickball with her friends, I was like... Was "I was waxing my mustache. Yeah. I was like, oh, I have been ain't nothing better than Brooklyn in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, come on, it dude.
2: There were, literally, there were, like, there were six kids running around the front stoop, and then all of a sudden, this up, they were, like, we're in front of a brownstone, and then all of a sudden, these two other kids poke their head out the parlor-level windows to yell down to their parents, and I was like, oh, holy God, this could have happened in 1908. <laughs>
1: Um, is this a good time for us to talk about your procedure? Oh, oh yeah, I
2: am out of, I, I'm out of the gene pool. Um I uh have done my part for population growth and now my part for population control. Uh I got a vasectomy a couple Fridays ago. Uh highly recommended to anyone. And because tmi uh i only have one testicle it took half the time oh
1: see i was under the impression that you were having a testicle removed i wasn't following this whole thing and i was really thinking this was unfortunate i was i was like wait gareth had a vasectomy and a testicle removed i didn't realize that you Um, went uh, in with one testicle no Well, if you get two vasectomies, if you, if you get it with
0: your first and then it reversed, and then you get a second one, you get a free testicle removal. <laughs> so it just you might as well. well. I was, <laughs>
1: I was just, it was like, I was sad that we didn't record this because we could have had a documentary. We would have called it Ball Out with Gareth Hughes.
2: <laughs> Ball <laughs> out. Ball out. I like um, it. To get. To get super personal about it, though, so when I was 11 months old, I had cancer, and uh, it was a really rare form of cancer that happened, and it it hit my testicles, and they had to remove one of them, and now it was fine afterwards. It's really my parents' story more than mine. Now I have two kids, and it's no big deal, and I get a vasectomy. But a couple times over the years, I'd gone in, for something to a doctor, and they would say, what's your medical history? And I'd have to run through that, and I would include the fact that I only had one testicle. And a couple years ago, about five years ago, a doctor asked which one was removed, and I just basically said, I was like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? I was like, I was 11 months old. I always only have one like testicles aren't like a left, right thing for me. They're just sort of like a, it's down the middle. I, I just kept saying like, <laughs> so
0: you don't, yeah, that's, man. this is a fascinating <laughs> discussion. You don't know if it's the left or the right.
2: Correct. And like, but the greatest thing about that moment was the nurse caught on immediately as to why that would happen. And she just started laughing and the doctor kept pressing me. I was sick. I was in an emergency room. I was actually on the road for a football game. And I just kept saying to him, I don't know, man. It's just like symmetrical. Right. <laughs> There's no left, right. You're a unicorn. And so I, I'm i a unicorn. And so as I woke up after the vasectomy a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm coming out of a drug-induced stupor. I just said, oh, by the way, which one do I have? They're like, you have a left. The right one was removed. And at age... 36 now I finally found out what the answer was. Because my parents Phew. had forgotten over the years it wasn't a big deal after a while. So so there you go. Yeah. I have a left functionless testicle. You have a tether ball.
0: <laughs> yes. yes. Does that work? I have a tether ball. Works. First yes. of all, Gareth, when you get a testicle removed, it's always your story. <laughs> it's your story, man. Right, right, Good point. Good point. Yeah. Good point. When cancer so. makes you get rid of one of your testicles, you can you can tell that at the bar. <laughs> Absolutely. You can be like, well, it's really more my mom's <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, nope. Yeah. They took your, your they story. took one of your balls <laughs> and
1: left another one and they didn't even tell you which one they took. Uh, did women notice? I mean, I assume you were a virgin until you met your wife, but if that's not true, like is that something that was an issue for you? Going, no, Gareth lost his virginity even before me, if you can believe it. I mean, I was wow. 21 when I lost
2: mine. <laughs> <but. laughs> it was, you know, it's something that I would—I was pretty self-conscious about, and I would bring up. And then after a while, you came to like—you come to realize that nobody really cares. Most of my sexual life hasn't centered around ball play. So, huh? You're doing it wrong. Deal.
0: <laughs> what are you doing then? <laughs> <laughs> what? Just no, all balls. The sweet- yeah. Isn't it? I've prepared the, clippers the, just for my balls.
2: The, I thought the it's the just you just take your that pants off and you just make a look at it. it.
0: it. <laughs> and you just go, do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. What a cutness. No, yeah, no can... pun intended here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well done. So yeah. that seems like a good time to move on. From okay. That. Yeah. yeah okay. That Wait, uh, also school. here with us, doesn't <laughs> have a
0: mic this week because of technical issues of his own making, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, since you can't answer this, I will also assume you only have one testicle and also got a vasectomy. Uh, he's giving me a thumbs up. All right. <laughs> moving right on. If you listen to this show, if you're one of the beautiful and unique Sparkle Ponies who makes up our uh, uh, what burgeoning listener base, yeah? Sure. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, then you know we don't just invite people on behind the scenes. We publicly call them out. We call this process slamming the hammer. Adam, who would you like? You know what? You know what? Gareth, you have one ball. You just got <sighs> it kind of half-snipped. Yeah. You can go first.
2: Uh, You know, I thought about this when we were just talking about it. Like, I mean, look. We haven't talked to the guy a lot. He hasn't done a lot of media. I don't care about doping. Lance Armstrong, come mm. on the show and let's talk about having one ball. Uh, or John Kruk, Uh or I believe Mike Lowell, uh, former baseball player. But just any any athlete of in the one ball club has a standing invite on Just Not Sports. It is an interesting thing, and you know what? I will say that as you go through life, uh, and that kind of nugget about yourself gets dropped out there, you'll occasionally be sitting around and another gentleman will say, you know what, you're not the only one at the table with that. So, yeah, uh, anybody who is, any athlete with one testicle is all, open invite, open hey. hammer on Just Not Sports.
0: Hey, Gareth, did you really refer to the, <laughs> did you really refer to people who've only got one, one bar ball dropping a nugget? <laughs> 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 what? All right, let's move on, Adam. Adam, who you want to drop the hammer to? Uh,
1: Roy Jones Jr. We talk a lot about athlete rappers, and for some reason, I've neglected to bring him up. He mm-hmm. has put out a couple albums, uh, and I think he's I think he's very talented. I, I want to know first of all why he stopped making rap because I really did. Uh, I was impressed with it at the time. I think 2001 and 2003 he produced rap albums. I also wanted to talk to him about something else. I was reading about Roy Jones Jr., and I, I read that he had a very abusive childhood. His dad physically abused him, and I've watched a lot of documentaries about boxers and MMA fighters, and it seems to be pretty prevalent in that community and probably not. No accident that a lot of people who were physically abused grew up to be fighters. It seems to be uh, an epidemic in the the fighter community, as well as domestic abuse being committed by these now professional fighters. So right. it's it's clearly a, a a really ugly cyclical thing that happens. And Roy has been pretty open about it, and I'd like to talk to him about. Uh, that being a problem in the fight game in general. It was sad that the article talked about, like, yeah, but it made Roy such a strong person. No, no one should have to go through that to be one of the best pound-for-pound fighters ever. And I bet you Roy would tell you, like, I would have rather not been the pound one of the greatest fighters ever if I could have avoided that abuse I suffered as a child. Yeah,
0: no. Um, Did you ever rap about it? I don't think he has. Yeah, we'll have to go deep on those yeah, like late album cuts and see if he if it ever comes up. All right, my hammer guys, Chris Berman. Mm. He, mm. he recently announced he is leaving ESPN. I think at the end of next year, at the end of his contract. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Huey Lewis in the news. Chris Berman. If you Google Chris Berman Huey, Huey Lewis, there are multiple videos of chris berman at different concerts on stage with huey lewis it's not like 1985 okay <laughs> like chris i think is a really big fan and like follows the band to this day so i know you're all you're all wow. thinking oh haha ha, ha, we're gonna have him on we'll be another like kind of startup show needling chris berman i'm not going there I I liked Chris Berman growing up. I mean, I, and I would be fascinated to talk to him about liking Huey Lewis in the news. I think Huey Lewis is an interesting band that had like one of the most successful runs in the 1980s. I could totally see how Berman, being of that generation, would have liked the music the same way I, I know that Dan Patrick was a big Hootie and the Blowfish fan. So I really want to have a serious discussion about Huey Lewis in the news. I, I may or may not bring up the scene in American Psycho. We'll have to let the viewers mm-hmm. decide that. And uh, I want to I want to talk about how many shows he's seen and how often has he been on stage.
1: Yeah, I don't know when it became a thing to dislike him, but the guy loves what he does. I just don't. He, I don't he, know. You,
0: by that, do you mean perform
1: with Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he loves that. Yeah, he loves that <laughs> as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Gareth, what are you going to say?
2: Um, Interesting question posed on Twitter recently by Fox Sports as Peter Schrager to Jay and Dan of the Fox Sports One show. What at this point in time, like it's it's a Friday when we're taping this tomorrow night, Saturday night, it's the weekend, you have to go to one concert for one hour. Do you choose Huey Lewis in the news or Bob Dylan?
0: Ooh, I mean probably Bob Dylan, but. <laughs> I, I I I don't know. Like I'm a big Huey Lewis. I like Huey Lewis, I, man. Listen, I love Bob Dylan.
2: Um, Are they playing all their hits? You
0: mean like all their hits well, in know, one hour? To
2: me, it's a no-brainer for a one-hour show. You take Huey Lewis, dude. Like Bob Dylan is one of the most important musical artists to me. I get that, but. You might go and he's playing like knocked out loaded or stuff from his like nineteen eighties <laughs> Born Again phase. Right. If you go to see Huey Lewis for an hour, he's playing the hits. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. you're gonna get a killer hour and then you're moving on. You're gonna get Puppa so. diddly
0: Stuck With You, you're gonna get I Want a New Drug, you're gonna get Power of Love, you're gonna get two Chris Berman cameos, potentially. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe a Sports Center commercial shoot. You know they tried out they tried out like Landon Donovan and Huey Lewis and you're like, "Damn,
1: let's move on."
0: All right, Adam's like <laughs> I'm getting uncomfortable. Uh, sure, Adam can listen this to Garrett talk about testicular. We've ever had on this show. He, Adam can listen to Garrett talk about testicular cancer and vasectomies, but we talk about Huey Lewis, and He's like, guys, please. <laughs> All right, with that, if you want, got someone you want us to talk funny. to. Tweet us at just. or fi- uh, find us at JustOutSports at gmail.com. Right now, we're gonna quick, take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Kyle Martino, one of my favorite soccer analysts. MLS superstar back in the day on NBC Sports' coverage of the Premier League. He's going to take us through the joys, thrills, and challenges of Spartan racing. Stay tuned. Joining us on the show right now is Kyle Martino. Soccer fans know Kyle from his time in MLS and as an analyst for NBC's amazing coverage of the Premier League. But these days, Kyle is taking his talents from Saturday mornings to prime time. Starting this week, he's hosting a new series on NBC called Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge. It's a reality competition that follows teams of everyday people through the vaunted Spartan obstacle race. Today, we're going to break down the new show and the art of TV hosting. So Kyle, we don't talk about sports on the show. I will start you with a Premier League question, though. Which Premier League team would do the best in the Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge?
3: Uh, Leicester 100%. I mean, Leicester have a team, not only did they win the title, but they have a guy on the team that uh, several years ago was such a maniac that he got arrested off the field and had a house arrest ankle bracelet that he played <laughs> And they had to substitute him out if the game started too late in like the second half so he could make his curfew. I mean, any guy like that,
0: I was going to say Tottenham. There's something about the image of like Eric Dyer and Harry Kane, like pulling guys up a, like up a wall that I think makes a lot of sense. Although I I do suspect that no matter what they do, they would just kind of trip up at the end and, and Arsenal would pass them after a lackluster performance.
3: Well, the endurance aspect of Spurs would be really good. Pochettino has them basically running more than any other team in the Premier League. So that, that probably translates to
0: being a decent Spartan team. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So that's as much soccer as, 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 as we can probably allow ourselves. I do want to talk a lot about the show. I think it's fascinating. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm just wondering, when you see it up close, how demanding, how physical is the Spartan obstacle race?
3: It's not so. What I get every, every time I do an interview, honey and I get um, get the question: Have we done the course? And we, we are dead honest with the fact that no, God no. Are you kidding me? These guys have trained for so long to get through this thing, and honey and I got to jog through it, and even at a jog, both of us were winded just for FedEx professional. <laughs> And we were jogging through the course to just get a get an idea of it. It's only a mile long, but just to see these obstacles up close and personal before all of the athletes got there. And seeing them in the flesh, seeing the the, the grade of that flip wall, seeing the giant tire swings and how heavy these things are to get moving, the distance that it takes to get onto the platform from the log swings. I mean, all all of these things, when you're watching on TV, I'm sure, look very, very difficult. But when you're there in person and you see the distance, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and you get to the high dive as opposed to being by the pool and looking up at the high dive. The high dive looks terrifying. And so these obstacles are terrifying in person.
2: Kyle, Gareth here. I I love that analogy of the high dive because uh, I was... I'm going to make a true confession here on a show called Just Not Sports. I can still not dive into a pool.
1: Really?
3: Even even from the side of the pool? We're not even talking about the high dive? I cannot dive into a pool. I can swim. It's <laughs> a podcast in itself.
2: <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's gonna at this point, it's going to be probably some like Facing Your Fears podcast. It might have to be hosted <laughs> by an inspirational speaker or something like
3: that. Um, But it's been fun to watch
2: these sort of events become, and I think you and what you're doing on NBC is a big part of it, becoming more of a mainstream athletic endeavor. And I think what you're trying, what this show is doing, is turning these athletes into stars. How do you see this translating and the athletes in the Spartan races as basically mainstream athletic stars. Is that going
3: to happen, and do you see it happening? Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, you you want to cheer for an underdog. I mean, that's one of the reasons that people go nuts during March Madness is because of the possibility of that, that bracket-buster, you know, Cinderella story, and the somewhat anonymous you know, relatively anonymous athletes that are going out there and doing extraordinary things. I mean, one of the reasons I love Ninja Warrior that's the same producers and obviously on the same network that, that airs before us is because these are exceptional athletes with, with, with talents that you have to be born with, pulling off some pretty intense skills and, and, and demonstration of athletic ability. The, the Spartans, these these are the everyday. I mean, these are all of us. I mean, these guys are your neighbors, the, bar, the barista that you that you got your chai tea latte from, the postman, the your accountant. These are people that have normal everyday lives that weren't born with any any sort of god given talent or or skill that that in professional athletics ends up being so. Um, exclusive, and and, it, and it's such a .05% party. It's not the every person. And so what I love about Spartan, and what I think will translate and turn these guys into heroes, is on the same course that an ex-Marine who is a sick athlete, they're the grandmother, and they're both dominating this course and, and pulling off extraordinary things, and they're everyday people. So I think that aspect of it, that the person sitting on the couch watching the NFL, you're not going to play in the NFL. You're not going to catch a pass from Tom Brady. And if you go out in your Sunday league, you're probably going to hurt yourself more often than not. But you can get off the couch and and aspire to be a part of Spartan. And it's changed all these athletes' lives. I mean, what they've overcome, whether it's obesity, addiction, cancer, off of the the field – it it, it warms your heart. And then what they've accomplished and what they do with these obstacles on the course blows your mind. So to answer your question, I think that it's going to translate and people are going to look at these guys as, as stars.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the... One of the things that I think is so fascinating about the show, and also shows like Ninja Warrior, I mean, Gareth and I both work in sports. I've spent a lot of time working with endurance sports, and and there's nothing better than kind of being stationed at the finish line when you see someone who's trained, whether it's several months or their entire life, and they finish an Ironman race or they finish um, a marathon, and there's just this outpouring of like thrill and support. And I, I get the feeling that that what we're going to see in this is is a lot of everyday people that you said have, have great personal stories, and when they finish, even if they don't necessarily win, there's still this amazing sense of accomplishment. I guess w- seeing that up close, like, how would you describe just the, the sort of emotional outpouring, which I think is like one of the things that makes this type of a show so addicting?
3: Yeah, that was a, that was a really observant comment, and and you know, coming from a team sports background, the team component to it speaks so much to me because. Um, there, there is this incredible bond that they develop, whether it be through this race or coming into it. Some of these people are families. Some of them have never been on, a, uh, have never been in each other's presence. They've only met over FaceTime, you know. So, seeing what this course does to their bond and and how much it means to them, because you can you can't conquer it alone. You have to get through it with your team. Creates all of these mini victories. You said it. You know, no. There's only one team at the end of this out of the 36 that are going to win and, and get the 250 thousand dollars. But on each episode, there are these mini victories of just accomplishing their goals, their personal goals, and, and being able to get through this course. It's one of those, you know, like finishing a marathon type things. It doesn't matter if you're one of the Kenyans up front or you're, you know, you're you're, you're a, a ex- little league baseball player that hasn't hasn't run since you were twelve finishing the race is a victory and, and finishing Spartan is a victory, and uh you'll see a lot of those mini victories all throughout all throughout the uh throughout the season but what I love and you said it is when they cross the finish line there, there are teams that are cheering on the people behind them i mean right. it comes a of course. You're looking for a winner. It's comp- it's competitive sports, but but it's unlike anything else in the fact that there's so much w- love for for everyone. Spartan. I mean, that you're a Spartan before you're a part of your team. You know what I mean. And then and then the team sort of takes over as you get competitive. But it always comes back to this: get everyone who started this race over the finish line.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it, there are parallels in there. To uh, you mentioned Kenyans and. Uh... I was thinking like the Tour de France and how you can work as a team within the individual sport. And It seems to be a it's a really unique
3: dynamic to those sorts of things. And those sorts. Well, and also, of I, I like the cerebral aspect of it. I mean, it, it is so strategic. I mean that you know, and and that's one of the things being a soccer player. And, and you know, you you always love your sport, the sport that you played or the, that you grew up with, that you're passionate about. But I look at soccer in such a game of chess way, and and. And, and there's so much strategy to it. The Spart- I mean, Spartan, you can get to the slip wall, which is this punishing obstacle right before the finish line. And if you don't have a well-thought-out strategy, that's where Lee disappear and get gobbled up. So as you were saying, that, that, that sort of thinking man's race, combined with this, this game of attrition, of, of just complete endurance and digging as deep as you can... I mean, those are the sort of polar opposites of the athletic spectrum of intelligence and wit, and just full-on endurance and 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 will.
0: So I got really pumped up when I saw you were hosting with Dahani. We're big fans of him as well. I'm curious. Number one, you both have hosted travel shows. So who who packs a better suitcase?
3: <laughs> so uh, Dahani is a much better dressed. Much more four bags than I am. I I am two t shirts and a pair of jeans.
0: Well, he's got a bow tie line, man. He, you know he's going to be packing like some some sick uh, night nightwear every night.
3: If, if I don't, if there's not a stylist on staff, I'm going to look like a uh, out of work actor, and um, and Tuhani is going to look like uh, the cover of EQ. So when it comes to when it comes to packing and looking good and and traveling, Donnie's got to beat by far.
0: It's a non-traditional sport uh, or or event to call in that you're not like you've got both like the live aspect of it, but you also have a lot of the teams and and personalities to introduce. Um, How do you balance the sport aspect of it with the hosting slash melodrama aspect of it? And where do you feel like the right balance is for a show like this?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because, you know, when I'm doing soccer, uh, I'm I'm the analyst. So I'm just really talking about the game and what I'm seeing. And it's much more reactive. And, you know, Don and I sort of share a play-by-play role and uh, and an analyst role at the same time, bounce back and forth between those and, and where both at. And, you know, it's a delicate dance, but it's one that we get a lot of guidance from our producers and Arthur Smith who, who, um, and Anthony Storm who are running the show here and, and created Ninja Warriors. They are just so good at telling stories. And that's one of the reasons I got into sports television. Is that I just love the stories of sports. And you need to be invested in these athletes. It's not enough to watch them perform on the field. It needs to be more than that. And and these little packages that our team put together to introduce you to some of these people, um, it, it does all the speaking for us because we we couldn't tell the story nearly as well as they can tell their own story. So fortunately, unlike when you watch live sports, you know you don't get in game backstory interviews from these players too often. Sometimes in pregame, but during the competition, we can jump in and out of these amazing packages telling stories about these athletes.
2: Okay. So I'm going to ask this one. What sort of, uh, how much have you worked with Joe DeSena, the CEO and co-founder of the Spartan race? Cause I was at his wedding.
3: So oh, that. were you really? Did he have, did he have like a full on like Spartan wedding where you had to like sprint to the cake and like, and, and, and like climb, climb, climb over barbed wire to get your, your slice of cake. And, when it was when shout came on and the band was playing, everyone had to yeah. Jump whoever, you had
2: to get lower underneath an electrified like jump <laughs> <laughs> up, yeah. up, up and down. Yeah, you had to jump between the razors and things like that. <laughs> How That's did cool. you get there?
0: Oh. It doesn't seem like you guys were best best friends. So like, was, were you just a, a plus one? Plus one.
2: Uh, Amy, my wife, was friends with Joe's. Uh, wife now they and the thing that makes the the reason i'm bringing this up that i find it interesting he and i've communicated over the years and i'm definitely going to tell him that we had this conversation but what i think elevates this from mere sport guy name dropping to actually being pertinent to the conversation is the wedding was held at their farm in vermont which then became became the home to the infamous spartan death race and really um,
3: Yes, and so I don't know if that sounds like quite a honeymoon. Have you covered the death rates? Are you no? no. So what? Okay. I mean, so how this all came about was that they were doing Spartan, um on NBC, um, SN, and Jin, and covering it a little bit, right. and basically the the appetites for it, and and how well it married with Ninja Warrior. Uh, we're lucky that he decided to partner with NBC to just blow this thing up and, and turn it into a a big network show. Well,
2: the, I think the season finale should definitely be the death race because that
3: is— What is the death place? race? Break, break it down because okay, I'm not familiar the- with it.
2: So Joe you listen you talk you talked earlier about you know the inspirational stories of these people and how they've got like addiction weight loss, things like that, and I think that that you know it, in knowing Joe and his story that is truly a part of Spartan and as somebody who frankly knows the t v can be manipulative and you can just sort of sell these stories whether they're true or not that is baked into the ethos and philosophy of the races. So what the stories you're telling are very much in line with what I've seen from him and know of his story over the years. And using physical challenges to overcome mental hurdles, physical hurdles, uh, problems in your life, push yourself to the limits, see what you can accomplish,
0: things like that. So is the death rate just like a regular on steroids?
2: Well yeah, so the death race takes place at the Vermont farm where they were married, which is lovely when not set up as a death. Definitely of your part. Oh,
0: <laughs> Very good, Kyle. That's <laughs> that's the wit that got you, that got you this gig, man.
2: Um, but it is designed to push participants as as far as humanly possible. My favorite part of it is there's no end. Joe just decides when it's over, so it can go on for about 36
3: hours. And... I, I envision, like, Caesar standing in the Colosseum, like, thumbs up or
0: thumbs down. <laughs> Absolutely. Ah, uh, brutal. Uh,
3: that would be a terrible
2: edit, is all I will say, if you end up having <laughs> to do that as the season
3: finale or anything. So, so yeah. It's, it's what was so cool, like, what I saw being there live, that... I didn't know beforehand because I wasn't familiar with Spartan until um, this opportunity came along is, you know, that, that that old sort of urban legend of like, you know, the mom lifting the car off, off her kid, you know, the, this idea of, of accepting a, a strength or a courage that, that didn't exist until you were sort of put in these moments. I mean, Spartan really is that you will see people that you'll judge from the second and say, there's no way they can do this. And they probably thought that about themselves before they ran their first Spartan. And it just, it, it accesses this, this, this bank,
1: this, this
3: vault that you've never opened, that has a courage and a strength that you just didn't know you had.
0: Absolutely. So which of your NBC Sports colleagues would be the best in a Spartan race?
3: Oh, Robbie Earl would dominate it. Yeah. Robbie Earl probably would run it to like today. You could give him a half an hour notice.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't argue with that. I would say the the the, the best in the uh, in the death race would be Roger Bennett, just because he fe- I feel like he he would he would look at it very philosophically and just kind of accept the fate.
3: But Roger Bennett is is actually <laughs> like the, That's the perfect that's the perfect person to pick because it, it, you would look at Roger and properly say he might sprain his ankle starting and <laughs> over the starting line. But I know Roger Bennett has a serious reserve tank of athletic ability and and will. He's the type of guy that would go on and surprise the hell out of you on a show like Spartan.
0: Yeah, no, I, I and I, I would say I would I but I think your I think your choice I think your choice is right. I, I could totally see I could totally see him dominating. And then is it you in the promo that's saying this is Spartan? I couldn't tell from the trailer.
3: I doubt it. I mean that 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 that's a very Tahani. That's a very Tahani thing, right? You've got a much more gravelly voice. I mean, you have to weigh you have to weigh over two hundred pounds to be able to say this, Spartan.
0: I was going to say, what's the what's the most like kind of machismo thing that you've had to you've had to do in an edit thus far? Anything? Any any kind of voice VO that you got to drop in? That's just like you know, just grunting or. Uh, <laughs> I,
3: I think I think screaming the the uh, the Marine Corps, hurrah! I mean that that, that was. That was when I really felt I was at my manliest.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, we've taken up a ton of your time. Let me just, let's end with this. We cater to sports fans who kind of like what athletes and and media do away from the game, but they're still sports fans at heart. For the people that may look at this and think it's more melodrama than they want, you know, or maybe they they know kind of what Ninja is, but they, you know, but they're skeptical of, of this. What is it? what is it that you think is the number one draw for the casual sports fan to kind of make the leap and, and come over and, and watch, you know, watch Spartan and and get hooked.
3: I just think redemption. I mean, everyone, you know, the underdog was kind of what I said before, but really it's about redemption. It's about second chances for a lot of these people. And, um, you know, you, you, you want to root for someone who who you believe to be a good person. And you see these people that were in their darkest moments. And, and a lot of people in society don't find a way out of that. And all of these people have. And so the, the, the real thing about Spartan, outside of the sports that I love and the obstacles that I love, is watching these successful redemption stories.
0: Well, we love it. I mean, it's a it's gonna be a blast. The show, um it's it's it just debuted last week. I think it's shifting to Thursdays next week. Is that correct? After the Monday sh- showing?
3: I believe, I believe so. I yeah. believe
0: so and we'll put a link to it on the website. People should follow you at Kyle Martino on uh, at Kyle Martino on Twitter. Uh, of course, they're watching yeah. the excellent, um, you know, NBC sports coverage of the Premier League. Congratulations on that! You, what you guys are doing to to you know bring soccer into the mainstream um, with such a passion for it, but also just top notch production is is a, is is really great. Oh, so, congratulations! So yeah, of course. Yeah, we have a blast doing it. So, and thanks for joining, man. And hey, have a uh, best of luck for the season. We will be watching.
3: All right. Thanks, guys.
0: Have a good one. As anyone listening to this podcast now knows, a few weeks ago, the absolutely amazing and just influential beyond description, Muhammad Ali uh, passed away. An outpouring of support followed um, virtually every media on earth has talked about Muhammad Ali, his uh, cultural significance, his impact on sports, religion, race, all these subjects in America. We wanted to talk about a little bit about the way that we processed Ali. None of us old enough to remember him as a fighter, but certainly old enough to remember the residual waves of cultural relevance that followed in his wake. So, Adam, let me start with you this is a subject that you initially kind of threw out there to talk about. What did you, I guess, what's the first thing you thought of when you heard that
1: Muhammad Ali had died? Um, I thought that Muhammad Ali had more influence on sports merging with entertainment than probably any other athlete ever. I think we all, we, and Maybe not we. I think we get it. But I think what today's athlete and particularly coach loses sight of um, when they criticize the media um, and the exposure that they get is that sports is entertainment. The difference between you and dancing with the stars is not as great as you would think. And Muhammad Ali appreciated that. So though he was very serious in the way he approached his craft, he also watched the wrestlers, uh, professional wrestlers of his time, in particular uh, Gorgeous George was someone he was inspired by and saw the kind of uh, banter that happened between wrestlers or promos as they called them and incorporated that into his persona, which is what makes him one of the greatest of all time. He was such a wordsmith. um, He really took, before Don King, um, before Floyd Mayweather, he made... Boxing the spectacle, and I say that in a positive way, Uh, he made boxing the spectacle that it is. Um, 24-7, the great HBO show, would not exist without Muhammad Ali because more exciting than the fight is the talk that happens leading up to the fight. So these two great competitors going back and forth, um, verbally sparring before they physically spar, Muhammad Ali brought that into the fight game, and it's remained a part of the fight game to to this day.
0: Gareth, what
2: about you? It's interesting to hear that you say that. The things that jump out to me about that, um, you know, like, I didn't know that about Gorgeous George, but there is something so true about that and uh, the, the parallels with wrestling. Also, I remember when I first met my wife, I mean, it was before the era of 30 for thirties. And she said to me, I mean, this was, I mean, she wasn't, she, she's aware of sports, but she's not a fan. And she said, let's watch one of my favorite movies. This is when we first started dating and it was when we were Kings. And I think you saw sort of that proto 24 seven style thing in that movie. I mean, they were taping everything for a reason. You know, that footage existed for a reason, and they were aware of the power of the media around him uh, in a way that was very savvy and ahead of its time and important. Um, One of the things that I think is worth bearing out as we look at the sports landscape of today is how important Muhammad Ali was because he was Muhammad Ali and not Cassius Clay. Um, his name change was obviously something that got talked about a lot in the wake of his death. But when you look at guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or up till now Meta World Peace, you know, anybody who said they weren't going to call those, those men by the name they chose, you became the asshole, not the athlete changing their name. Right. And, um, even down to Chad Ochocinco, like it, I think his name change, which obviously happened for religious reasons, reasons helped kind of solidify the, that the athlete will choose their identity, not you, the sports writer or the fan. And I think that that is as powerful as anything anybody could have done. I mean, that is wildly important when we look at the athletic landscape of,
0: today well i just want to congratulate ourselves on being the first show in a in the world to draw the the parallel from ali to to ocho (laughs) to meta world (laughs) peace i thought that
1: that was outstanding Um,
0: well look so we don't like it it, clearly his death is is tragic we're all none of us here are muhammad ali hot takers going to tear him down we all think he was an incredibly important american icon um but let's talk a little bit more about his pop cultural influence. Mm -hmm. So like Adam, what stands out to you of the things or the, the pieces of entertainment or pop culture that Ali was a part of?
1: Uh, well, one that I learned about recently, um, I was reminded of recently was his appearance in a musical Broadway musical called Buck White, where he played the lead. This happened. Um, there's only five shows uh in 1969 but it was a Broadway musical in which uh Muhammad Ali played the lead character um and and got um some surprisingly good reviews it's not on, the greatest there's no footage singer. of it is it there is no footage of it uh there's he he on some late night shows he redid or he reperformed a few songs i i think most unusual about this play is that this was years after he had renamed him, he had taken the name Muhammad Ali. He was still built as, he was billed as Cassius Clay. with really? Muhammad Ali written in small letters. I haven't been able to find an explanation, hmm. but I found that fascinating. It makes you wonder, um, was this done for financial purposes? And what was the, what was the marketing behind that? But that was a, a example that stood out to me that I um, had heard a long time ago, but, uh, kind of lost track of. Actually, Howard Stern was talking about it the other day. Um, yeah,
0: well, that's a lot more interesting than I was going to say that he was on an episode of Different Strokes, and <laughs> that's interesting. Not cool. even one of the more memorable ones.
2: But see, what to me, what I find interesting about that is that he is such a charismatic guy, and his his charisma and his personality was such a part of who he was, but then at the same time, and we've talked about Jackie Robinson's acting career on this show there, Muhammad Ali, who was a more bombastic personality than Jackie Robinson and had more charisma, didn't undertake more of acting, you know, like you look at his IMDb page and it is all appearances as himself or documentaries and different strokes. Like he didn't, try that, which to me
1: is fascinating. And interestingly enough, he did, like Jackie Robinson, he played himself in his own biopic called The Greatest. It was very poorly received, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean, his whole life was performance art, right? Like, if you're Ali, like, he was such a master media manipulator. And I mean that in a positive way. Like, he, he knew how to be on. And it's very difficult when you look back on... When you look back on his career and the clips and the bombast, especially in boxing, where I feel like everything is such cult of personality, it's hard to tell if like what where the line between like Muhammad Ali the
1: figure starts and where Ali the person ends. But I think that happens a lot with fame. You start to lose sight of well, he who was that so smart is. though. Like I
0: don't know that he. It's hard to say. Did he ever he lose sight? Like, or was he yeah. always just so good that he could turn it on and off? I'd have to go read. I'm look every every old. Sports writer in America has been waxing poetic about their right. one story I'm sure that somebody's out there who's already talked about that, but I just feel like he didn't necessarily need to scratch the itch of I want to get to the to the movie screen because the guy was all over media and could snap his fingers and be entertaining in any medium He chose
1: yeah, I, and I, I think the amazing thing about him is how his brand You know from a, a marketing perspective how his brand lasted years and years later even when he could no longer speak uh, his personality came through and even before he passed if you walk down to the Under Armour store here on Michigan Avenue uh, just down the street for us you walk in and you see right away shirts with Muhammad Ali's name all over them that's their main display long before he, he passed and it's pretty incredible to me that you wonder beyond Michael Jordan um 50 years from now, is there any other athlete whose brand will extend over that kind of period of time? Dana Barrows is well, wrap up. <laughs> I love
2: that you said that. <laughs> I love that you point that out. I wrote that down too, because last year when Shinola made their Muhammad Ali watch, they did some of, uh, there was a, they painted a building here in New York with his face and the watch on it. And they showed some of that under armor stuff. And it was like, Jordan's brand is like this, very, I mean, look, it's the design jump man thing. Right. Muhammad Ali is just his name written out in the simplest over large block letters in that style of the sixties. And it like, it's a sweatshirt that just says Muhammad Ali and you can still buy them in 2016. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So the best thing on his, that speaks to his staying
0: power the best thing on his IMDb is this whole section called thanks where he's like thanked after things. And so there's a lot of like documentaries or American experience or the 30 for 30 with like a special thanks for Muhammad Ali. How about this one? You will believe the cinematic
1: saga of Superman. (laughs) Special thanks. Muhammad Ali. He wasn't in the Superman movies, was he? He wasn't in the Superman movies, but there was a comic book where it's Muhammad Ali (sighs) takes on Superman, Superman versus Superman. Really? Yeah. What? I mean, that's how big and iconic and larger than life he was, where it was like kid would pick up to see a human boxer. So if you fight literally made a list alien. of like most important
0: American figures who've battled Superman, so it's Affleck one, Ali two, <laughs> Richard Pryor three. That's a hell of a list. Jesus. I'm looking uh, at all, it right here. Yeah. The,
2: he might be I, I also love him. I mean, he might be bigger as his, his impact might be more in just an icon and just using his image than anything he had to do. It might be why he didn't have to act. Part of what I did in looking at this was look at all the various Muhammad Ali rap references over the years. And there's a few articles I pulled up surprisingly few mentions, but like, the first two articles I pulled up and they both were published after his death. One was in the source. The other one was on billboard. Uh, Nobody thought to mention mama said, knock you out. So I'm going to go ahead and just state for the record that that a boxing metaphor song is the best one. But uh, just like Muhammad Ali, they call him Cassius is of course that line, but the, the rappers that reference Muhammad Ali common, Jay Z and Kanye West, Nas multiple times, The Game, Fugees, Gucci Man, EPMD, Master P, Ti, uh, Sugar Hill Gang, and Rappers Delight. Right. Um, Will Smith on Get Jiggy With It. Drake. I mean, so what's you're
1: the Will Smith line? What Sugar is the told me Ali, I'm the greatest. Oh yeah, man. Got okay, first of all, exactly. first of all,
0: this has not been a great Will Ennium. No. <laughs> 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 was not that the song? Will, it's the Willenium. Yes. That was his album, right? It's yeah. the Willennium.
1: I think so. I'm trying to forget. <sighs> After Home Base, it was all over for me and Will Smith. Anyway, sorry, Gareth. Keep going.
2: No, it's, uh, it's just, I mean, he was referenced by the Sugar Hill Gang in one of the first rap songs, and he is referenced now. I mean, that is a hip-hop touchstone
1: that has not gone out of style. Uh, and Tim- probably never will. Timberland and Magoo. On the song Clock Strikes, yep. his mama called him Clay, so I'm going to call him Clay, which is was quoting uh, the boxer who, whoever the fighter was, so poorly researched here, uh, whoever the fighter was who he was fighting against refused to call him Muhammad Ali. Um, and so during the fight, Muhammad backed him against the ropes and beat him uh thoroughly (laughs) and shouted at him what's my name what's my name say my name Uh, anyways one of my favorite moments
0: what i think is like interesting is and uh, there's nothing loaded about religion in this statement at all so don't even go there don't even start with me sparkle ponies clearly he changed his name for important reasons so did kareem abdul jabbar Mm -hmm. okay But those are two sweet-ass names left behind. Cassius Clay is a baller name. And if everything had stayed the same, which I know is impossible to say because his religious identity was a huge part of his overall cultural significance, but if he had just been Cassius Clay his whole life, what a fucking sweet name. And then Lou Alcindor still, if Lou Alcindor his whole career had been Lou Alcindor, like, those are two awesome monikers i'm brad burke it's so boring i'm like super jealous that these guys had four awesome identities between the two of them
1: whatever well (laughs) at the start of the next show we want to know what your new name is going to be it'll probably be even worse it'll be fred burke or some shit well no no no. you gotta rename yourself dude no (laughs) i
2: like it yeah what's your reinvention name you know what it I understand your point on poorly researched, but that fight was against Ernie Terrell. Thank you. So, well, that was an important fight clearly in the history and legend of Muhammad Ali. At the same time, Ernie Terrell has not gone down in the history books besides getting (laughs) that moment (laughs) destroyed by Muhammad Ali.
0: (laughs) Hey, before we close out, let me read you some of the plot summary of the, uh, of the comic book, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Ratlar, the maniacal leader of a species of aliens called the Scrub, demands Earth's greatest champion fight the greatest Scrub fighter. If Earth, Earth refuses, the Scrub will then destroy Earth. Superman and Muhammad Ali each come forward to volunteer. However, argue, Ali argues that Superman is not really of Earth and also has an unfair advantage in his many superpowers. In typical Ali verbiage, he puts himself forward as the obvious choice. I love that. I love it's. I love It's like, technically speaking, you're not from here. Also, you're too strong. I should do it. It's more honorable. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing.
1: Uh, any final thoughts, you guys? I mean, I'll say something kind of controversial in a sports sense that uh, I don't think he's among the top five greatest fighters of all time. Uh, in terms of his actual boxing skill. Um, if is you that look pound at for it,
0: pound, or is that just like today's are more like super heavyweights? He I just compete. mean
1: in the history and the impact and his overall record. I don't know that he was um, in the elite class that you w- you could put, even like who we, someone we just mentioned, Roy Jones Jr. Um, I think Roy Jones Jr., pound for pound, great, better fighter. But the impact he had on the game um, is unquestionable. Yeah. I agree with that.
2: I, I, I mean, just like a, I agree with that hot take, Gareth Hughes. We should be ready for Twitter to burn down with this one tomorrow. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I think you guys are terrible people and he's the greatest fighter ever. So take that. All right, <laughs> and, uh, and with that, we're going to go get on eBay and order this comic book and uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. All right, that was most of the show for this week. If you didn't like it, we always say, in the words of Malcolm Jenkins and his amazing bow tie line, the beauty, my friends, is in the imperfection. Uh, We're not going to go right into our shout-outs this week. We're going to do something a little different, something cooked up by one Gareth Hughes. So, Gareth, we'll have you start. Uh, you know, Athletes all the time are labeled as a distraction when they get caught up in doing a movie or um, having a business. Oh, Mello wants to be a brand. He's such a distraction. Uh, But every day is filled with distractions. You know, just stuff you want to do that has nothing to do with the crap we have to do (laughs) for work or home or whatever. So we're going to give you guys a little taste of some of the things distracting us. So, Gareth, what's your distraction, buddy?
2: Uh, The distraction for me and what inspired this is, I mean, look, I am a hipster, Brooklyn dad. So I'm talking about some Brooklyn dad rock, but I have been distracted by the band, the Parquet Courts, Uh, not a reference to the old Boston Garden, but Parquet Courts and their new album, Human Performance. It is excellent. Those guys have made three great LPs in the last four years. They've also put out a couple EPs in that time. You can approach those with varying degrees of excitement. But to me, if you buy any of those three LPs light up gold um, sunbathing animal or human performance, you will be very, very happy. That band is excellent. And the parquet courts have been a distraction for me.
1: Awesome. Adam. Well, sticking with our fight theme here, uh, a brand that I've become recently obsessed with. So I have a little bit of a, t-shirt problem. Um, I have a hard time throwing them away and I continue to collect them. Um, and honestly, this is just, there's nothing in this for me. I just really like this company. There's a company called Roots of Fight. Um, they make very simple t-shirts with fighters' names and their fighter nickname on them. Uh, it's been really kind of an incredible brand that started from um, guys like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson wearing them. Uh, Dana White, who just they kind of gravitated to these T-shirts. And now they've become this huge company. And I've started to slowly collect um, their T-shirts as well. Muhammad Ali is the next on my list that's coming. Uh, I have a Roy Jones Jr. as well. And then I just bought a Hawaiian Kimpo Chuck Liddell T-shirt, which is my, my favorite. So shout out to Roots of Fight. Definitely obsessed with their brand right now. All right, I listen to
0: a lot of podcasts. A lot of podcasts. I love podcasts,
3: <laughs> and
0: hell, that's why we freaking started this because I was oh. like, I want to make a podcast. I I think I think might as well. I listen to so many. I might as well make my own. Um, I listen to the Ringers Fleet of Shows. I think they're very good. Um, I think Keeping It Sixteen Hundred. Is very good. It's uh, their political podcast. There's a lot of political podcasts out there that I think are interesting, like Slate's Slate's Trump cast. I think that what 538 is doing to talk about what's going on with with politics is interesting. So I love keeping it 1600. It's all about the race to the White House. It's John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer, uh, two former Obama staffers now, sort of off in the private sector. And yeah, it's partisan. They get a little snarky. Um, They definitely look at the world through their own prism, but they're level headed. They never go into like hot take scream, you know, screaming. And they've had a number of Republican strategists on their show. And I love the fact that they can just have a debate and it never gets like outrageous or crazy. Uh, And I just think bringing more civility to the discourse is good. And I really applaud. I think on TV, they kind of throw people of polar opposite opinions together and make them fight. And on other forms of media, it's often, like websites, it's often you only get, you know, sort of affirmation because you're reading stuff you believe in. I like how a lot of podcasts like these, uh, like Keeping It 1600, are, you know, just sort of bringing opposite sides on and let them have a conversation. Like, let it be a slow boil. See where it goes. No one screams. No one storms off. So I love the show. I recommend everyone subscribe uh, to it. And while you're at it, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. I mean, really,
1: It's not that hard to live leave iTunes comments. I've really heard so not. many complaints on, from people that oh, it's a couple. Yeah. It takes a couple of steps. You all, most of you, sit in front of a computer all day. Just go do it. Yeah, and
0: in, indeed, uh, follow us on Twitter. Email us justnotsports at gmail dot com. All right, guys, uh, let's do some quick shout outs. I'm gonna give a shout out to Kyle Martino and the wonderful PR team at NBC sports for hooking us up with an interview with him. I really had a fun time talking about Spartan races and just, you know, again, it's a non-traditional view of sports, but it's also just a, getting to see what a, what an athlete and sports media member is doing away from uh, his hosting gig. So I, I dug it. Gareth, any shout outs? Yeah,
2: damn. Uh, Adam, I shout you out for this roots of fight website. I'm already on it. And, uh, I probably have about $200 in my, cart i don't know that i need these cut off jackie robinson sweat shorts of course you do want them
1: i know exactly what you're talking about and i'm ordering those as well so we will rock them when (laughs) i come visit you in brooklyn love it adam any shout outs yeah well i first want to shout out uh brad and gareth by the time this show airs uh we'll have celebrated father's day so congratulations so i just want to say shout out to brad and gareth both um great fathers. I also, on a very personal note, want to shout out uh, my buddy Cody Dietz. So I started Big Brothers Big Sisters seven years ago when I lived in Green Bay. Um, I was partner with a, a 10-year-old named Cody Dietz, um, outstanding kid. Seven years later, uh, we still have a very close connection. I don't have any children myself, but He's about as close as they get. Uh, he was just down here last weekend. He went to a football camp at Northwestern. We spent a lot of time together. Um, Cody, I just saw his report card, 4.0. So, Cody, awesome. I'm well, so proud awesome. of you uh, for the excellent young man you've become and just want to say shout-out to you, buddy. Great. Awesome. And uh, anybody oh. else in your family? Oh, well, of course, yeah, uh, as usual – Shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, yep, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron.
0: Love those guys. Thank you guys for all you do every week. Huge part of the show. And in the words of Shaquille O'Neal,
1: Booty Rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. booty.